Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I'm actually in my house here. I've got Tom McReynolds of Black Mountain Outfitters. Tom, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you. Uh, last time I think I saw you was up at the Safari Club International show up in Vegas. Uh, you had literally people standing uh, stacked like a, a, a line to see a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> I walked by and just kind of gave you the nod, and you had guys all around you. It was a good show for you? Yeah, it was probably the best trade show that we've ever had in history. I mean, it was it was pretty insane. It was wall-to-wall for four days straight. Good, yeah. It seemed like the show had a lot of activity, and... Um, you know, people were moving around and, you know, I could tell people were spending money. So I'm glad you had a good show. I, I know you just came off of your Mexico hunts. Uh, you've been doing Mexico hunts for, uh, your wife shot a big sheep and, mm-hmm. uh, mule deer and coos also in Mexico. How was your season? Uh, it was great. Uh, Mexico was awesome and we're full steam now for 2017 and 18. We're booking our hunts, you know, as we speak right now down there. Um, we've got some sheep hunting opportunities, some great mule deer and great coos deer. So you'll run your hunts. Uh, when you say 17 and 18, you're obviously meaning like the December portion of 17 mm-hmm. and then the the, the portion in, in January and 18. And yeah. then some of the sheep stuff, I think, even runs into March. Into March, yeah. So uh, your wife shot a big old ram. Mm-hmm. and um, tell me about that. She was sick sick yeah. that week? Yeah, she was, I mean, deathly ill, like borderline pneumonia, and, you know, we just had a small window we could try to do the hunt, so it was pretty tough on her, um, but she got it done and made a great shot, and it was it was worth it for her, but too bad she didn't get to enjoy it more, unfortunately, but maybe down the road we'll get her, get her to shoot another one, but the one she shot was... Beautiful ram. Amazing ram, yeah, 36 inches long. I mean, just awesome so yeah um it looked like a really neat ram it's tough when you're sick though to really enjoy it uh but you also had mule deer down there and had had some good hunts um looks like you posted a video of a giant that the guys missed yeah that buck he was uh he was a bomber he um they missed him at 250 yards unfortunately he was he was well in the 200s he had a he had a tine snapped off but he would he was 220 plus had he had that that other that back tine on there i mean there's some great deer down there i mean the the sky's the limit on potential genetically in the area that we're hunting i mean you won't find better mule deer um, we're actually in the middle of getting our feeding program up and running down there so when you throw protein to these deer and these are all free range deer by the way um you you but you can still put protein to them and increase their horn growth by 10 to 15 percent coos deer and and mule deer yeah, and, and I know um, you're obviously an outfitter for mule deer in New Mexico and in South Dakota as well as elk and other things. Um, so it's just an extension of your business to go down to Mexico and offer mule deer hunts, cooster hunts, and sheep hunts. Plus, from my perspective, it gives a little bit different time of the year as well, kind of later in the year compared to some of your other hunts. Yeah, it, it, it makes it where we're nice and spread out. So I can take my same guides that are guiding for us in New Mexico and in South Dakota, and they can come and guide in in Mexico. Um, it's very nice. The only thing that conflicts with is trade show season, um, but that's not, not that big of a deal. It's nice to be able to have those same guides that the clients hunt with in New Mexico and hunt with every year, and they can go down and hunt with them in, in old Mexico. And it, it just spreads everything out. Down there, you know, we take smaller groups of guys, and um, it's such a 
great environment, the great weather, and the culture is just amazing. I mean, it's really hard to explain to people um, what it's like hunting in Mexico until you actually experience it for the first time. And once you once you go down there once, you're you're addicted. And uh, it's I, I told someone yesterday they were asking me about Mexico at, at lunch, and you know what is it that I like about it and what have you. And I said, you know, it, it, right now if you said I, you, you'd cut off two fingers on my hand or you couldn't go to Mexico every year, I'd say cut the fingers off. I mean, <laughs> I I absolutely love it down there. Like you said, the culture, the food. The people, the, the the terrain, the sunsets, the sunrises. I mean, to me, it it it's like going back in time somewhat because yes. you know it's 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 pure hunting in my yes. mind, and it's it's just a neat place. I love it. I mean, it's it's yeah, it, it's it, hard to describe, but once you do it, it, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like no other hunting experience. And the first time I went to Mexico was actually 15 years ago and hunted, and I. At that time, I knew I was like, man, this is this is amazing. I remember the following year, I didn't go and I missed it so much yeah. because it was it was one of the coolest hunting experiences I had ever had. And now here we are, fifteen years later, and you know we're we're running business down there, and you know it gets such a bad rap, and it just kind of blows my mind some of the some of the bad publicity it gets. But it's just like all the other media stuff that yeah. goes on. I mean, it's. You, you're honestly you're safer down there than you are in South Phoenix. Like like President truth. Trump says, wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't you don't believe everything you hear. But uh, I, I, one question I would have for you is like you're running down there on your mule deer, and then you're running on your coos. Some of the places where you're hunting uh, down south, you know, your coos are running all the way into f- early February. Yes, whereas. You know, where we're hunting northern Sonora, a lot of our rut is, you know, January 10th through, you know, the end of the month. Um, but I know when I've hunted down uh, down south, uh, you know, you get the coos deer rutting, you know, from maybe the last week of January all the way to the first two weeks of February. Yeah, yeah, those later dates in January are really good. Yeah. Um, they'll, the mule deer will start cranking, you know, around Christmas time, they'll start moving. Um, and then it kind of gains from there. This year, the rut was a little late. Um, we were hunting more towards the middle of the month, and the rut was just really kicking on pretty hard, and they, they rutted hard till the end of the month. Yeah. Coos deer tend to be a little behind the mule deer. So Yeah. What we're going to talk about today primarily, uh, we're going to make a little transition here, is uh, talk about uh, New Mexico because New Mexico uh, has the uh, application uh, as are due, uh, I believe, March 22nd. And um, had a good podcast with you last year uh, prior to the applications. And I know that uh, several podcast listeners actually booked booked hunts with you and, and had some good hunts. I know one gentleman shot a, a big bull and had a, had another one shot a pretty good buck. Yeah. Um, tell me about the, the one bull the guy shot. Um, that was a, a public land tag and a really easy to draw unit. And um, it was a muzzleloader hunt and he... He shot a 350-plus bull opening morning, had a great hunt. He spent – he actually killed so quick, he ended up that, – that particular unit, we don't hunt out of our lodge, but he ended up spending about a week at our lodge hanging out with everybody, and I know he had a great time. The bull he killed was, was a great bull. Um, we actually just posted it on our Instagram uh, last week, so you can take a look at that. Um, what is your Instagram handle? Uh, it's at BMO Hunts. Okay. At BMO Hunts, yeah, I love um, getting on there and seeing the photos. You mentioned, and, and we're going to dive into all the New Mexico stuff, but you mentioned the lodge. Where is your lodge located? 
Our lodge is in Pie Town, New Mexico. Uh, it's we're if you're familiar kind of with Arizona, we're about an hour from Springerville, Arizona. We're right on Highway 60. So my lodge is a north, uh, a mile north of the highway there. Um, basically, most of our clients fly into Albuquerque. They rent a car. They drive. It's a two and a half hour drive from Albuquerque to our place. They'll drive out to our lodge, and then we provide all the transportation from there. From there, so that's kind of like the center hub of your hunt, and that's primarily in u- units twelve and thirteen. Is that the hub there? Yeah, so that's the main hub for twelve and thirteen. We do every once in a while we'll run a hunt in unit fifteen or seventeen. Um, in some in our unit ten hunts. Those guys, they'll have to camp out or stay at a hotel or something different that's a little too far from my lodge. To... And the lodge is, uh, I, I've heard stories t- talking about the lodge and the atmosphere at the lodge and just how the camaraderie of, of, of the people there and the hunters, and it's a real comfortable place. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, in, in setting that up, what, what were you trying to accomplish? And have you achieved that? Yeah, we have achieved it. You know, we're, um, we have a a lot of it's it's basically it's not what you think of as one of these five-star texas high fence lodges it's not like that this is a lodge that we've designed and and spent a lot of money developing it specifically for trophy hunters and you know just people that are coming out there to hunt um you know we've got an 800 yard rifle range we've got 120 yard archery range that you can shoot undercover Uh, we have benches set up and we have a really nice setup we have walk-in coolers, walk-in freezers. Um, we've got hanging rails where we can hang three to five elk at a time. Um, it's just a very nice setup. The cabins are comfortable. We have a very nice main lodge where everybody comes to eat. We have uh, multiple bathrooms and all your modern amenities we have covered. Um, you know, it's it's not like staying at the Hilton, but it's uh, it's it's very comfortable. Our you know most of our clients they're not about the accommodations. They're about being comfortable and being on game and being on big animals so that's what we focus on um you know ever since we've had the lodge now i think we built it about four or five years ago since we kind of completed that part of it i mean it's just amazing to see how our clientele has reacted to actually having a lodge to stay at because they still get to hunt the same quality of animals but they have a lot more comforts and i can tell you we have a lot more uh repeat clientele that come because we have a lodge now they like it um, it's comfortable and you know we have a nice big spread out facility so no one feels cramped. You have or, like you know, 90 acres there, don't you? Yeah, we have 90 acres where our, where our actual lodge is. And, I mean, it's just wide open. So it's just it's nice. We're, we're going to be building a fishing pond and some other things there in the next year or two. Um, we're starting up some predator, predator hunting and varmint hunting this spring. So we'll have some of those to offer because um, we have so many ranches with prairie dogs and great predators. That's another part of our operation that we're getting ready to develop. Good, good, and um, obviously you probably have full time cooks that are there cooking for everybody. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the f- the favorite things of clients is, is our food. We have we have an amazing cook. Um, he's been with us for years. He actually is the lodge manager, and um, anybody that hunts with us or has hunted with us in the past knows Brando. Brando's been with me for a long time, and his food is is top of the line. And it's it's he knows how to entertain the hunters also. That's awesome. Uh, I want to dive into the quotas and how the New Mexico draw works. Uh, And and I'm going to state a few facts here, and then I'm going to let you take it over. But uh, 
84% of the tags go in a resident draw, 10% of the tags go in a non-resident draw, 6% go in a guide outfitter. I guess it's outfitter draw. Actually, it's 10% go to the outfitter draw, to the outfitted clients, and 6% go to the non-resident, non-guided. Okay, so I got that wrong. So 10% go to the outfitter. Yep. And 6% go to the non Non-resident, non-resident, non, non-guided clients. So, so you actually, uh, non-residents that apply with you actually have more tag allocations. Yes. Than yes. the guy that's just going on his own. Yes. But for the guy that is going on his own, obviously you're an outfitter. That's how you make your living. Um, if if someone were to draw a tag, they're still great hunting and that allows them to tag in that unit and they can go and hunt, correct? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of public land in most units. Unit 12 is primarily private land, um, but your other units like 10 and 13, 15, 17, and all the 16 units, those are primarily public land. I mean, there's obviously always some private land issues you have to be aware of, but for the most part, you know, if you draw a tag in the non-resident, non-guided pool, I mean, you're going to have great hunting. Um, New Mexico's, you know, it's, it's a sleeper, but it's starting to, starting to become pretty, pretty popular. The landowner tag prices we're seeing on the rise, um, because there's a lot of do it yourself hunters out there that want to buy unit wide tags and go do it on their own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things about New Mexico is it, it, it's on one hand, it's pretty nice because it doesn't have bonus points or preference points. It's just, you know everybody's got the same chance, right? So when you apply, as far as everybody in each particular pool, whether it's the 84% in the resident or the 10% in the outfitter pool or the 6%, it's it's no preference. It, yeah. Everybody has the same chance. Everyone has the same chance, yes. Um, and from what I understand, uh, it's a $13 application fee per animal. Mm-hmm. And I believe the license fee is $65, Yes. And so, but uh, when you're talking about elk, a standard elk license is 548 for a non-resident, but quality or high demand is 773. Mm-hmm. So if you're applying for a, a quality or high demand unit for elk, you're going to pay the $13 application fee, the $65 license, and the 773, and that all gets charged to your card up front, correct? Yes, and they charge you for the highest license fee of what you're applying you'll get three choices so let's say that all three choices are mixed let's say one's a standard one's a quality one's a high demand Uh, whatever the highest license fee in that category is they will charge you for that up front if you don't draw they'll refund you back that 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 expense on the license fee so the elk you know, the elk tag, they'll give you the money back. If you right. apply for bighorn sheep, they'll give you that money back. Um, now, didn't it used to be where you actually had to write a check? And and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but before they allowed credit card applications, I think you actually had to put all the money in. Yeah. Okay. But it's nice. Now you run the credit card. I mean, they charge it and you get the money back. Yeah, they credit right back. Yeah. And they do it, they do it quick, so... I want to dive directly into the units that you guys guide in. And I guess you started with unit 12 talking about it. I guess we can start there. Uh, Unit 12, what you said is primarily private land. There is some public, but it's primarily private. Yeah, it's primarily private. Um, We've got about a half million acres of ranches there. 
Um, just, you know, a lot of these ranches are checkerboarded and things. Um, but like our ranches, they landlock a lot of public land that normal public hunters couldn't, couldn't get to. Um, that's why we, we encourage guys, if they're going to book a hunt with us, try to book with us prior to the, to the draw deadline, because if we can get them in the public draw and get them a public tag, we can give them access to all this public land that's landlocked. Um, it's a huge advantage. I want to, I want to stop you right there just to clarify. So what you're saying is if they come in before the 22nd deadline and book with you, Mm -hmm. you can put them in, in the regular draw, the outfitter draw, the outfitter draw, which is then going to allow them to draw and hunt unit wide. If they draw outside of that, then they then then they have to hunt public land or private land. Well, yeah, if they book a landowner tag, then they have to hunt private land. Okay, um, that's that's in unit twelve. Okay, um, once you get into other units like unit thirteen, fifteen, seventeen, ten, those units um, we don't have any private land there, but you can actually buy unit wide tags there, so you can hunt the entire unit. You don't have to necessarily draw them. Unit twelve is a unique unit because it's what they consider outside of the core which is the Game and Fishes management area. Um, they manage it a little differently than they manage uh, inside the core units. For lesser quality or higher quality or what? Um, I don't know per se if they're saying lesser or or higher quality. I do know that Unit 12, our, our elk numbers are through the roof. Um, you know, we have a lot a lot of elk. We, you know, we, we run, as far as a kill percentage goes, we're running a 95 to 100% kill percentage with rifle hunters, which is just unheard of. Um, you know, it's uh, if... And what are those dates? Uh, we get to start October 1st, which we get to hunt peak of the rut. Since we're an outside of the core unit, we're one of the only areas in the state that you can actually hunt outside of the, the normal season dates. Uh, most hunts in New Mexico for gun don't start until the middle of October. We start our rifle hunts October 1st which is peak of the rut. So they're um, full on screaming full their guts on. out. Yeah. I mean, we'll go out and we'll run a hundred percent kill on that first rifle hunt. Um, you know, it's a five day rifle hunt, but we'll be done in three days uh, and some great, great bulls like, um, average bulls, what kind of size and then and, and exceptional bulls or what? Well, I mean, in 2015, we killed a bull that was 440 inches gross. Um, that's free range. I mean, no, you know, and we don't, we no don't funky have any, business. Yeah. We don't have any, uh, <laughs> we don't even have any, you know, supplementation programs going on. So that's obviously your, your top end, but it just depends on the winter and the spring that we have. Um, everything in that area depends on moisture and it depends on timing of moisture. Um, in 2015, we had a, we had some storms in May that came through and, um, I really think the timing of that moisture was what really helped because the fall of 2015, we killed probably the biggest crop of bulls we've ever killed. Our average was close to 350. We killed multiple bulls on the private land in Unit 12 that were 370 to over 400 inches. Um, that year was great for horn growth. And then if you step into just this past fall, it was some of the worst horn growth we've ever seen. And, um, you know, we were averaging more around that 320 mark um, that is about the bottom end that you'll see. Um, you know, the bulls we were killing were 300 to 365. You know, it was really, really hard to kill a bull over 365 or 370. But isn't that Tom directly, New Mexico is a, is an arid state. And on years when they have good 
timely moisture at the right time in the spring. If they have good winter and good spring, you can have unbelievable antler growth. Yes. And then you can have it at the wrong time or lack of moisture and have, you know, a, a, a 390 bull is a 360 the next year. Yeah, people get are very shocked when I tell them that we will have a 20 to 40 inch change in horn growth on the average. Um, we we killed a bull this past December. Um, this bull was you know, he scored in the high 340s, but he had 21 inch first seconds. His thirds were 20. His fourths were about 18. Then I mean, by the time he got to his fifth, they almost didn't even exist, and his beams were probably eight to 10 inches short. And you can look at that bull and just see. I mean, he's just, he's a droughted out elk. Yeah. And um, if he had been killed on a wet year, that bull was every bit of 370, 380. So it's just a huge difference. And right now, what, what I'm do so you see ex- now? Yeah. You know, it's, we, we've, we've had, our winter has been awesome. Anybody that lives here in the Southwest can, can, you know, knows how much moisture we've had coming through here. We've had probably the wettest winter in many, many, many years. Every landowner I've talked to so far in New Mexico predicts that we're going to have a great spring. Um, if we could get even sp- later spring moisture on top of this wet winter, it'll be without a doubt one of the best years in history. So as as far as what you have right now with moisture, you're thinking it's unbelievable. If we could put together any storms come May, uh, like you did in 15, it could, you think it could be one of the best years ever? Yeah, and it, and it could be just based upon the snow that we've had so far this year. We'll just have to see. It's really hard to tell. The wind tends to always blow in April and May over there, and it dries out. But typically that snow that that, uh, falls, that's really what creates that deep moisture in the ground because it leaches down into the ground real deep. So even if the wind blows, there's still good deep moisture for the roots to get down to. So, you know, the landowners, they they know their country pretty well. And, you know, a lot of them have been there for their entire life and multi-generations. And they've all said, we think we're going to have a good spring just because of the winter moisture. We haven't seen winter moisture like that in many, many years. Um, that's great. That's, that's exciting to look forward to. So Unit 12 is the unit that's primarily uh, private. You have over f- or close to 500,000 acres of, of private of, ground. Of ranches, yeah. Our, our private land, you know, we're in that probably three to 400,000 acre range. Um, we, we landlock some stuff. The total ranch acreage is about a half million acres. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot a of lot country. Of country. So. And um, how many, uh, well, let's back up. Uh, in 12, you'll have an archery hunt, correct, for elk, and then you'll have an early rifle hunt and a late hunt. Tell me how the hunt structure in 12 works. Well, on the private land, we actually run three archery seasons. We'll run a 1st through the 7th of September hunt. We'll run a 9th through the 14th hunt. And then we will run a 16th through the 21st hunt. And that hunt can be extended till the 24th. Um that is, you know, more during the peak rut. The bulls will usually start rutting. Generally, they'll start rutting between the 3rd and the 6th. They'll start bugling and kind of getting with it. Believe it or not, our biggest bulls get killed the first two hunts, typically. The rut activity is stronger in the later hunt, um, but you have more satellite bulls get killed then because when those big bulls get get all cowed up, they get real hard to kill. The guys that haven't had a successful archery hunt before, I usually say, you know, come later, experience the rut, get one under your belt. The guys that have killed bulls and are looking for giants and really want to try to kill big, big herd bulls, I really strongly urge them to come earlier, either the 1st through the 7th or the 9th through the 14th. 
um, just because they can catch those bulls as they're gathering cows. They're more more vulnerable. Yep. Um, what people don't understand about our area, what makes it different from a lot of other areas, our bulls don't need to be bugling for us to hunt them. We can glass most of it. So we'll find these uh, these big, big herd bulls. Sometimes they're off on their own. They haven't even gone to find cows yet, and they are way easier to kill that way. Or they'll start going to look for cows, and they'll be around groups of cows, but they're still off by themselves. They're just they're they're ten times easier to to kill with a bow if they're by themselves and they don't have a bunch of eyes with them. And then on top of it, when you start getting you know closer to that rut time, but it's still in the pre-rut, those bulls are callable. Yeah, you can get in there and slip a little cow call, and they're going to be susceptible. They're, so from what I hear you saying, is you have the ability to glass. And having the ability to glass allows you to slip a hunter into range of that big bull. And if you can make a cow call at the right time, that's why you feel like those first two hunts, as far as killing big bulls, make those bulls more susceptible. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, And so you run the 1st through the 7th, the 9th through the 14th, and the 16th through the 21st. Then you have, from what I heard you say, October 1st starts your early rifle, what I would call your early rifle hunts. Yeah. we Those we, are five-day hunts? They're five-day hunts, yeah. Gun gun hunts in New Mexico are five days. Um, that's just the way the license is structured. We actually run pretty much one bull hunt every week from October 1st through the end of December. Because what we will see, we'll have a strong rut on all of our private ranches, but Towards the end of October, we'll start to see a shift in elk. Our rutting elk, our, especially our bulls, they start to leave, the ones that haven't been killed. They will leave, and then we'll have new bulls showing up, um, coming in from other areas, surrounding units. We have a lot of reservation land to the north of us. I mean, we don't even really know where these bulls come from, but bulls will just start piling in because they're just cruising, looking for wintering country. And that's why some of those later hunts can be really, really good. Um, a lot of times some of the biggest bulls we kill are in the late season, November, December time. And so we taper down the numbers of hunters we take. So the late season guys, they get a run of a lot of property and they typically do very, very well. well this, this year in December, we went a hundred percent kill with our late season bull hunters. That's really good. Yeah. It's, it was uh, awesome. Do, do the bulls typically break up, um, as, as much, uh, in unit 12? Do you get breakage or? Um, sometimes you do, it just depends, but not, it's not that big of an issue. Um, we see it more in 13, um, on the public land there and 13, you'll definitely see some bulls get broken up, but, um, you know, 13 is a unit we haven't touched on yet, but yeah. there's some great, great bulls there. One question I have about unit 12 and what I hear you saying is you have your dates, the first, the seventh, the ninth, the 14th, 16th, 21st. It's private land, so am I understanding that you can set your own dates? Yeah, we set our own dates. Okay, we so we kind of structure our own internal seasons because okay. we can validate a license any five consecutive days from October 1st through December 31st. From October 1st? You're talking about rifle? Yeah, for rifle. And you set your own archery dates as well? Yeah, we set our own archery dates as well. Okay, so we're talking specifically in Unit 12. It, it's not the same for Unit 13 or Unit 10, the other units you guide in. But in Unit 12, you set your own dates. We set our own dates. And then you also set your own dates for the rifle hunts. And that's what you were saying. Your rifle hunts are very successful because you're able to stagger the hunt dates and you can hunt very late into the season. Yes, yes. What would you just say in general, like how many bulls will you guys kill 
roughly in Unit 12, your operation? Um, between all of our ranches, we we get probably 80 to 90 rifle bull tags, and we'll run a 95% kill. Our average will vary anywhere from 320 to 350, depending on the horn growth. Um, and we generally have 100% shooting opportunity for rifle hunters. Bow hunters, I mean, they're 95 to 100% shooting opportunity. They get cracks at some of the best bulls. But bow hunters, you know, sometimes they're very efficient and sometimes aren't. Um, you know, we do have a wounding policy on our private land to, to protect our animals. And we, we actually, we age class all of our animals that we, we kill out there. We, we do totally independent stuff from game and fish. We, we pull teeth off of all these elk that we kill. We send them to a lab and we get them aged. And our age class is very, very good. Our average age class in 2015 uh, was, around the, was around seven. Um, you know, obviously we like to see that even higher, but seven's pretty good. Um, and we also, we age class from unit to unit so we can break out our bulls we're killing on private land in unit 12 versus our public land bulls in unit 13. And we can touch on that a little later. For sure. Guys, I want to take just a second here to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank my title sponsor, GoHunt.com Insider for their loyalty and their sponsorship of this podcast. I'd also like to thank Kuyu.com, Phonescope.com, and the Outdoorsmans.com. You can check down in the show notes to see the uh, different J. Scott promo codes and the discounts that you can get with these companies. Uh, Without them and without you, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And I just want to thank you and thank the sponsors uh, for their support. Uh, topographically or geographically as far as talking about the terrain in unit 12 compared to unit 13 are are there many differences or is it pretty much the same type of country it's the same type of country but unit 13 um, 12 is a little more open a little more that deserty type open there's more open countries a little more glossable 13 is a little thicker a little more rough country in there um it's great though because there's low tag numbers and there's some places you can really get away from people if you put a couple miles on some really neat areas um you know but it is definitely 12 is more glassable than 13 some areas in 13 you can't glass at all um unit 10 is you really they got to be bugling in that particular unit because it's thick yeah it's very thick um if they're not running there it can be a little tougher of a hunt Uh, it's a little thicker um you know it's just not quite as quite as a deserty as unit 12 is or unit 13 is it's a little more pine and what you think of as typical elk country i'm looking here um on my ipad at the gohunt.com insider um has the uh draw odds and it breaks it down in the guided and the uh unguided uh for non-resident and one of the things i'm looking here at unit 12 is it has um this has uh, Unit 12, September 15th to September 24th, 34 applicants, uh, two total tags, and 8.7% draw. Uh, it shows Unit 12, September 1st to September 14th, 39 applicants for two tags, 7.6 draw. Um, whereas the non-resident, it's Unit 12, 41 apps for one tag, 3.2%. Uh, the, uh, unit 12, September 1st to September 14th, total apps 20 for one tag. That's 6.6%. 6. 6%. 
So the guided draw is 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 considerably better. Yeah, and if you look from unit to unit, you'll see that that gap change. Some of these units have significantly better odds in the in the outfitter pool. Some of, some hunts are guaranteed in the outfitter pool, just depending on what you're applying for. But you um, also have speaking about draw, but you also have landowner tags. So if people want to hunt elk, they contact you. They can buy tags either in 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 12 or 13 and hunt directly with you next year then the year after they can be consistent hunters in new mexico every year yeah i mean we have clients that come every year they've hunted with us for years and years and years and they they book their tag for the next you know they'll, they'll book it for the following year while they're still in camp because it's just what they do sometimes they'll bounce around and hunt this unit or that unit um you know it just really depends on a guy's pr- uh, what his main priority is you know, we, we, and we deal with every different type of hunter. We deal with guys that have never killed an elk before, and we deal with guys that are looking for a 400-inch bull. Um, and that's kind of why our business has grown so much is because we've expanded out of just trophy hunting. We still trophy hunt, but, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that just want to go kill a nice elk. They've never killed one before, and they want high odds of killing one, and we have that, along with being able to kill, you know, 380-plus bulls on good years, you know. I mean, that's the cool thing about it is that a guy coming out that would be happy with a 310 bull, he may end up killing a 380 bull. So, um, you know, whereas a lot of other places just don't have that top end and that genetic right. potential. Yeah, I mean, year after year, obviously you're subject to, you know, the dry years and the wet years. But year after year, if, if you're an elk hunter and you want to hunt uh, every year, New Mexico is a great place to do it because on the wet years, you know, you can have 440 inch bulls like what, you know, what you guys killed and yeah. and you've killed multiple bulls over 400 over the years. Oh uh, yeah. We've killed multiple bulls. We've killed two bulls. I mean, we killed a bull that was 427 gross. We I remember four- Dusty's, um, Dar's buddy, Dusty, mm-hmm. uh, killed a four, what was it? 420, 427. Yeah. That at that time. Bow. Yeah, that was the New Mexico state record. I actually guided that bull personally. Um, I mean, it was a state record at that time, and it was still the standing state record until the bull we killed last year, which was ended up netting. He grossed really uh, through the roof. He netted two inches bigger than Dusty's bull. But, I mean, that just shows you the potential. Yeah. And, and that those two bulls were killed in Unit 12, the same unit, and 15 years apart. So... You know, there's a lot of debate as far as quality where it's gone, but that tells you right there what the what the potential is for that area. Um, you know, like I like I tell people, even on our worst horn growth years, we're still killing bigger bulls than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, this year the big the the guide's biggest complaints um, when they were out there hunting with clients was, you know, it's 320 bull city. Well, man, a lot of guys would give their left arm for a 320 oh, yeah. bull. You know, they're trying to find bulls that are 340 to 360. And they're, you know, they're kind of pushing 320 bulls out of the way. I mean, that's a worst-case scenario. You start getting into a decent horn growth year or a good horn growth year, and you start bumping up where there's 330, 340 bulls everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there, not many places you can do that. For sure. You know, I, I try to try to really give people a reality check. I'm like, even the best units in Arizona, if you really look at the tag numbers and how many actual really big bulls Actually are killed in those killed. units, yeah. it's very, very slim. Yeah. I said, Look at how many clients we take, and look how many really big bulls we kill. It's, it's a whole different ballgame. That's that's the reality of it. I mean, I've I've had the opportunity to hunt some of the most premium units in Arizona, and 
Um, I would take one of my New Mexico tags any day of the week over those just because there's less hunting pressure. Sure, sure. Makes total sense. And that's something I wanted to touch on, too. Perfect segue is while you do have this quality, the other thing you have in Unit 12 is you have quality of hunt because you don't have people running around everywhere. It's all private land. And we, you know, we have a very uh, organized system and you go out there and you've got all that land yourself and, you know, the guides all work together. They know where, you know, the other hunters are and the other guides are. And then when they fill out, they know of a big bull, they pull one of the other clients over to hunt that bull and it just works great. I have a great team of people that work together to do that. Do you see the bugling and the reaction to calling and such? on the private ground definitely better than some of the public ground where they're getting constantly harassed yeah the bulls and that's why i tell novice elk hunters that are coming to kill an elk for the first time or haven't done it i'm like come hunt the private first because you're going to have a great experience the elk there aren't as educated we have more control over what's going on out there and the pressure and the waters and you know what I mean? It's just, it's such a, a more controlled environment and it, it's just such a great experience. Um, I really persuade people the fir- their first time, if they haven't done it before, they need to come hunt the private land to get that experience. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your antelope and your deer in Unit 12. I'm assuming that you hunt both deer and antelope in Unit 12. Touch on that briefly. Um, antelope, you won't find better quality. We're averaging 83 to 85 inch average. I mean, average. Yeah. Average. I mean, we're killing on that hunt. I mean, you should not be shooting anything under Boone and Crockett minimum. We kill some great, great antelope. Um, this year we had a couple bucks that were around that 90 inch mark that were missed. I mean, it's, and this is on your private, this ground. is on the private land, but we, you know, we get very, very limited tags. This is, you know, these are very exclusive hunts on that on that land I and mean, we've got some incredible antelope and the antelope it's kind of funny the antelope we see their horn growth is a little different than the elk on those dry years they just i mean through why? the roof why i've always heard that i what's your opinion well it goes the same for the deer last year we had the worst elk horn growth we've ever seen and we had the best antelope and the best mule deer horn growth we've ever seen it's because from what i think and i don't know for sure but i think it's because they're browsers and on drier years, that browse is very concentrated, and they end up eating the same amount, but they're getting a higher density of protein. Um, that's all we can figure out because it, it always goes hand in hand. When our elk are big, our deer and our antelope aren't quite as good. And when our elk are, are you know, the horn growth is down, our antelope and our deer are through the roof. Um, and, you know, we hunt in other areas where that doesn't seem to to be the same, you know, the same situation, but in that part of new mexico that's what we've seen very consistently um but even on the worst years we're still killing great great antelope in unit 12 so um, you you've got archery hunts um rifle hunts how, how do you structure it can you name your own seasons too in that well kind of um what i if a guy wants to hunt with a bow out there we have some amazing opportunity but they need to draw that tag through the the outfitter draw and it's a pretty easy tag to draw really it's the odds are very good on it um, we have, cause with an archery tag, if you draw it in the, you know, why draw, you can hunt anywhere you want or, you know, you can hunt any private ranches or you can hunt any public land. The landowner tags can be used on that hunt, but most guys buy them to hunt during the rifle season, which is in October. Cause they want to, they want a higher opportunity to kill. Right. 
Um, the only thing that people have to be aware of in New Mexico on rifle hunts, when you apply for a rifle hunt, the Game and Fish actually, if you draw a public tag, they will allocate you to a ranch. So that's the one situation where you have to be careful of applying. If you're gonna, if you want to hunt a specific ranch, you have to buy with a rifle. You have to buy a landowner tag for that ranch because if you put it into the rifle draw and happen to draw, they can put you on any random ranch in that unit or in that that group of units. So can they put people, public hunters, on your ranches? Yes, they can. Yeah, they do because that's part of the agreement with Game and Fish that the ranches have to make. They take a percentage of your public land that is on your ranch, and then they allocate that percentage in, in like a tag, you know, allocation to the public land hunters. So there will be public land hunters. Any ranch that has antelope land on our tags will have public land hunters hunting on there. And do most of the time, do the public hunters come and meet with you and you guys all work together and so you're not... Yeah, yeah, they they call into the ranch headquarters and get access. And um, believe it or not, I mean, most of the public land hunters, they don't... They don't usually take it too serious. Um, they'll go out and shoot the first buck they see, and, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, a lot of times, you know, we they, we don't really worry about them. We Sometimes we even start our season a little bit after theirs just to let them go ahead and have their hunt, and then we're not running into them, and, um, it, it, you know, it, it makes it a little better situation. So, Okay, what about your deer in 12? I mean, all I can say is that we have some of the best deer in the country there. And as soon as we, we see them when they're in velvet and we always get them on trail camera and we see them during the archery elk seasons. And that's something that I failed to mention that on our archery elk hunts, we actually, that is a combo hunt that we let those hunters have a private land deer tag, an archery tag. So every year we have archery hunters that archery elk hunters that either miss or kill some really great bucks. Because the deer in that unit, when they're in velvet, you can you'll see them. Um, they're 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 way easier to find. They they stay out during the, yeah they stay out during the daytime. When once they go hard horned at the end of September, there's a muzzleloader hunt right at the end of September that we'll take a few clients on. And some years they're in, still in full velvet. Some years they're already hard horned. It just depends on the year. And once they go hard horned, they disappear into the junipers and they get real hard to find. And then our rifle hunt is in late October, and um, we took we took one of your listeners last year. He killed a nice buck. Um, that's a hard hunt, though. I mean, you're talking low, low kill odds. You have the chance to kill a monster, but I mean, when I say monster, we have you know we have deer well in the two hundreds. Um, I mean, there's just some great, great deer in the unit. Great genetics. Um, we just don't have any season dates that are real, real conducive to to knocking them down. So in other words, if you ran that same season, uh, if you, if you had that tag, you could whack them. If, if you had a November 15th hunt, you'd whack them. Well, our rut doesn't start. Or would it be December? Yeah. Closer to Christmas is our rut. So if we could hunt, um, later, like around Christmas time, that's when that rut starts to, to get on over there. Um, it, it just makes it, first of all, it's usually warm at the end of October. Um, you know, you, you're dealing with weather and you're dealing with the fact that they're hard horned. Um, when they're, when they're in velvet, their, their horns are sensitive. So they don't like to be in the brush as much. They don't like to be in the trees. So they're real careful about where they're at. Our bow hunters, they get some amazing opportunities. I mean, if there's been some bucks that have been missed on that archery elk hunt, that would just blow your mind. Um, and, and so the, the late elk hunters that you say you have in December, 
obviously there's no deer season at that time. Do they report seeing some giant bucks rutting Gi- around? Yeah, giant bucks. And I it mean, probably it's... just makes you cringe just begging for a hunt during that time. Yeah, it, if if we could have if we could have a hunt during that time of the year, the later half of December, I mean, we would have we would kill definitely probably the best deer in New Mexico. Um, it's just the season dates are very very tough. Um, Unit thirteen actually has a uh, an archery hunt in January that's during the rut. We used to have that same hunt in Unit twelve many years ago, but they did away with it. Let's let's go ahead and bump over to Unit 13. Um, tell me how things differ in Unit 13. F- first, tell me geographically, you know, is, is Unit 12 west of Unit 13, or how does it lay? And then tell me about 13. Unit 13 sits east of uh, Unit 12. It basically from Pytown all the way to I-25, which is the main artery running north-south, and, you know, from Socorro, New Mexico, up to Albuquerque. 13 goes from... From basically straight north of Pie Town all the way to I-25 and all the way almost to I-40. It's a giant, giant unit, and there's actually a, a, a piece that runs south of Highway 60 between Pie Town and Daddle that's a great area also. It's a giant unit. It's one of the biggest elk units in the state. If you look at the tag numbers, there's not a lot of tags. There's some great, great bulls there, but they're very pocketed, and you have to really know what you're doing. Um, you know, it, it um, without a doubt, I mean, it's... It used to be a sleeper, and it's definitely getting more popular, but they don't have a lot of tags there, which is nice. Hunting pressure's low. A lot of places you can get away from people. And, you know, it really helps to have a guide there because the elk aren't always in the same areas. They move around a lot. They're still pocketed. Um, you know, our our Unit 13 hunters, they have some amazing hunts, and they got some amazing bulls. The difference between 13 and 12 is that it's a primitive weapon-only unit. Just as 15 is and 17, primitive weapon only, you have to archery hunt or muzzleloader hunt only. The um, the muzzleloader hunts don't start until mid-October, which takes them out of the peak of the rut. It's more on the tail end of the rut. So those bulls never get hunted during the peak of the rut with a gun. There is a youth hunt that is the week before. I think this year it starts October 7th. And that usually catches the second half of the peak of the rut. That's a great hunt for 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 kids. I mean, you cannot find a better elk hunt. We have killed multiple 360 to 385 type bulls on that hunt um, with youth hunters. I mean, if you have if you have a a kid that is you know not going to turn 18 before the start date of the hunt and has hunter education, it's a no brainer to put them in for that. Um, same thing in unit 17 and unit 15, they get to hunt after archery season, but before the general gun season start, I mean, it's, it's just an amazing time. And you can actually also utilize landowner tags for those hunts. I know a lot of parents don't, you know, want to spend that kind of money, but if, you know, you have a child that's getting older and you want to give them that opportunity to hunt that early, you can buy a landowner tag, you can validate it and actually hunt during that peak of the rut time with a muzzleloader. And you've killed some great bulls um, over the years, and that's in 13. Uh, tell me about the archery hunt. How many season dates are there in 13? And those are different than 12 where you're dictating this is public ground now. What are the season dates, and how does that work? Well, in the actual way the Game and Fish sets up the season in Unit 13, and they do it the same way in 15 and 17, they have a season date 
uh, the first through the fourteenth, and then they have a fifteenth uh, through the twenty fourth. We we still, for our purposes, structure our seasons the same way, which is I've actually am a fan of this whole split season because it's enabled us to do this very smoothly, where we run our hunts the first through the seventh, and then the ninth through the fourteenth. But but when you're actually applying, you'll see that there's just two separate hunts. Um, some of our clients, believe it or not, come in, the guys that are real serious and don't mind spending the money, they'll come in and they'll book an entire first through the 14th archery hunt with us. So they'll book two hunts, basically. The nice thing is they only have to pay for the landowner tag once. Because once you validate the landowner tag, you can validate it for those that sector of dates, and it's valid the entire time. And same thing with the draw hunters. If they draw a tag, they could technically start hunting on the first and hunt both seasons with us if they wanted to. Um, so you'll see those season dates. You know, your rut is obviously stronger, the 15th through the 24th. But that those pre-rut dates, that first through the 14th, are awesome for killing really big bulls. The biggest, the biggest archery bull we killed this year was killed on, I believe, about the 10th. And, and that's pretty typical. Um, and it was, it was one of the biggest archery bulls killed in the state this year. Uh, it was well in the 380s. Um, it was a public land bull killed you know they hunted that bull for 10 days straight i mean they were on him from september 1st all the way through and they finally got him killed so those early dates are a great time to kill a really really big bull it's kind of a happy medium though don't you think because it's like you have to have them enough interested in the cows but not totally cowed up where they're got 40 cows around them so it's like that that seventh eighth ninth tenth 11th kind of those dates right there when maybe if you're you know the end of you know august 28th 29th 30th september you know first second third they're still maybe off by themselves not even interested in cows and then all of a sudden they come and they engage with the cows and they it's it's almost like they get a taste of it yep they get it they and they're like oh it's time yep and then that's when they make their mistake and it's a i i would agree with you um, you know, and all the scouting and stuff I'm doing, you'll see bulls and then all of a sudden that switch will flip and it's not like they're going crazy. They're bugling like crazy, but they're just, they've engaged. They have finally gone from hanging with their buddies, rubbing their velvet, then kind of being by themselves, then engaging with the herd. And that's when you're going to whack the bigger bulls. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it is that, and that's, that's a key time there, right? Before that rut kicks on. A lot of times, though, we'll find those bulls the first, uh, anywhere from the first through the seventh. And I, I've watched it like clockwork. You'll be glassing an area, and you'll see a giant bull all by himself up in a little pocket. And he, his cow, there'll be cows close, but they'll be two or three miles down the valley. And you'll watch that bull up there, and that's the time to kill him. Because, I mean, he's very easy to get in on, and we do it all the time. But literally, you'll see that bull there maybe for the first two days of September. And then instantly, the in one like the very next morning, he'll be three miles away with those cows. Yeah, and and it's almost like they'll come close to an area they'll stage for a little yeah. while, and that's typically the areas you'll see a lot of rubs and things. Yeah, and they'll be hitting tanks. If you can if you can find a bull like that, and that's what we have to do for that September first or the seventh month. We're out there that last couple of weeks of August. We're looking for those bulls and we're trying to get them killed the first two to four days of September before they get with those cows. Right. But all of a sudden, they'll be gone from those spots. And if they're gone from those spots, they're with the cows. It yeah. is just amazing how it happens. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I know as a guide, you're you're kind of trying to see where that transition area is, and you're trying to keep an eye on the cows, and you're trying to catch those couple days where they're going to be come check the cows and might leave and go back. Then they come check them again. They leave and go back, and you, your opportunity as a, being able to glass them, being able to get on them as an archery hunter, that's your window. Yep. When they're not locked in with the cows, but they're interested enough where they're off by themselves, they move in, they check, they leave, they move in, they check, they leave. That's where you have opportunities to slip in. That's where you have opportunities to maybe give them a little cow call, and it, they don't have all those eyes around them. Yeah, and once they get those once they get all those cows, it, it just becomes a, a mess. It's very, very difficult. Now, I'm I'm looking at the Gohan Insider um, odds again here. And the, uh, on the guided draw for the uh, September 1st through the 14th, there was 186 applicants for 18 tags, a uh, 14% draw. Uh, the September 15th through the 24th, there was 215 applicants for 13 tags, a 9% draw. And then uh, the non-resident, uh, non-guided, was a 4.9% on the 15th through the 24th and then 11% uh, on the 1st through the 14th. So the guided draw, definitely uh, 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 better odds. Um, one thing I heard you say about the landowner tag, if someone buys a landowner tag in 13 does that allow them to hunt the whole season if they structure it with you to hunt the whole season? Yeah, they can. So, so legally they can. What was that? Legally, it's good for the whole time. Yeah, legally it is. So landowner tag, if they get an archery landowner tag, a unit-wide tag, they have to pick which season dates they want to validate it. So they either have to validate it for the 1st through the 14th or the 15th through the 24th, and it is legally valid the whole time. Um, you know, we, we structure our seasons um, for our own purposes, you know, to do, we do a seven day and a six day hunt, but the some of our guys, like I said, they'll, they'll book and they'll hunt the entire time. Yeah. In 13 is a much bigger unit than 12 within unit 13. Is there also some private as well? Yeah, there are some private ranches. Um, there is quite a bit of reserve Indian reservation land. Um, a lot of checkerboarded stuff. So 13's got a lot of little hidden gems in it that you really have to know your stuff to be able to hunt. And um, the reservation is um, the Zuni, right? Uh, it's actually the Acoma there. Acoma, okay. Yeah, the Acoma and the the um, the Laguna Pueblo, La Laguna Pueblo. Yeah, there. Those are the the Acoma is the biggest reservation. Um, but the quite twist of that is there's a reservation. Some of those bulls slip off and come in to rut in 13 and move yeah, around yes. as well. Yeah, those you'd be amazed at how much those elk move out there. I mean, they, they move a long, long ways. We've we've had elk that we've actually had on our ranches in Unit 12 that show up over in Arizona on hunts over there where we have have reports of. And these bulls are unique bulls. that In Unit 1 or Unit 27 yeah, over in those units? You, yeah, you'd be amazed. Um, 2A, 2B. 2B, yeah. And um, we have these bulls on trail camera on private ranches in Unit 12, and all of a sudden we'll see them over there, I mean, 50 miles away, 40 miles away. They go a long ways to rut sometimes. Um, and we know these bulls because they're unique. They have a deformed pedicle, you know what I mean, things Kickers like that. Kickers, yeah. But Let's talk a little bit about um, your antelope and your deer in 13 as well. Um, 
one of our private ranches um, sits right on the Unit 13 border, but primarily in 13, all we do is public land, mainly elk. Okay. There's some phenomenal mule deer there. Um, if 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 a hunter wants to do a like a late season archery hunt, we can do that. What we try to do if we have a hunter that we know wants to is going to book a landowner tag in Unit 13 for archery elk. We will go ahead and put them in the draw for deer also to try to get them that tag. So they can have it at the same time. They can have it at the same time. There's some great deer in Unit 13. But once again, it's real thick. It's a little thicker than 12, and you got to catch them when they're in the velvet. So, you know, there, there's gun seasons in 13, but it becomes even more difficult to hunt than Unit 12 because it's even thicker. So, yeah. What about the deer in, in, in uh, or excuse me, the antelope in 13? Um, great antelope. Um, none of our private land sits over there. If a guy can draw the archery tag, though, he can hunt that public land. And there's there's some great bucks in Unit 13 on, on public land. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about Unit 10 as well. I'm wondering, do we need to talk about your late hunts? Because we talked a little bit about it, but you do unbelievable with your antlerless uh, elk hunts. Are those primarily in Unit 12? Yeah, those are all Unit 12. And you do a lot. Like yeah, you we do. You whack and stack. If yes. you want to shoot a cow elk, you need to call Tom. Yeah, yeah. We Like we, how many did you kill last year roughly? Oh, man. Over I, 100? Over 100, yeah. we. I mean, we have so many elk, especially in the late season, that start showing up. And these elk show up out in areas that you would never even think an elk exists. I mean, they're, it's antelope-like country herds of hundreds will start piling in and you know we're primarily the our neighbors don't really manage cows and i'm big into cow management um you know it's it's very important to try to maintain your your cow to bull ratio you mean keeping the cow numbers down not letting them get way out ahead of the yeah because when you start getting it's just it's just a fact when you start getting your cow to bull ratio starts getting out of whack i mean your your quality of your bulls will diminish your genetics will diminish um, you know, and it's, it's sometimes a battle between me and, uh, biologists, but, um, you know, I, I work hard to do my part on the ranches that we have to manage our cows. And we run a hundred percent last year. We were a hundred percent kill with cow hunters. Okay. Um, I don't think we had a cow hunter go more than two days. We do a three day cow hunt. We didn't have a cow hunter go more than two days. It's a great hunt. It's a great hunt for kids. It's not hard. It's a great meat hunt. We do those hunts from late October all the way through December. We have flexible dates. Um, all those all those hunters get to stay at our lodge. It's I mean it's it's worth it alone just in the meals and lodging. But you can go out there and shoot a cow. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great experience. We take a lot of kids and um, you know lady hunters for the first time, and it's great for families to come out. So that's something we do offer in the late season. We do also offer the trophy bull hunts at the same time. So those are good. That last December, we were 100% kill with our trophy bull hunters. But, you know, for, for people especially that are local, like in Arizona, New Mexico, and can drive easily to our ranch or to our lodge and then hunt our ranches, I mean, it's a no-brainer if they want to do a hunt every year. Yeah. And that time of year, the the meat pole there, the, the lodge, I'm sure, is a busy place. Yeah. That's why we have a hanging rail built to hold <laughs> – five elk so i I think i actually have a picture on our instagram of like four elk hanging at a time i mean it gets pretty busy around there um do you have a cooler too walk-in cooler yeah we have a walk-in cooler and a walk-in freezer 
Um, during that time of the year, typically once we get to November, it's cool enough that we don't need it. But we have stainless steel tables where guys can bone out. We, you know, we'll quarter them down and then skin them, quarter them, and help the guys bone them out. And then they'll load up their coolers and take off. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great deal. Um, you know, a lot of people just come on these hunts, and even if their kids aren't old enough to hunt, they'll bring their kids. And a lot of times, this will be their first hunting experience. So it, it's a it's a great deal. We'll have lots of kids around the lodge on the cow hunts. Just a lot of them are just there to ex- get a taste of what hunting's like. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people that we that we have taken on their first elk hunt, and it's just great. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a great great Good way to introduce us. people into the hunting. Yeah, we're introducing them to hunting. It's it's kind of a soft start for them. It's not a real hardcore hunt, which is nice. I learned that a long time ago. I mean, if you're going to start someone into hunting. Don't make it too hard right out of the sh- right out of the gate. You know, mm-hmm. we break them into it. Um, we did last year. We did um, actually. We took a couple of uh, the wives of wounded warriors, and this year we will actually be doing some wounded warrior specific things. But last year, a good friend of mine, Eddie Corona, he had a couple of friends, or he had a couple of wounded warriors that he was knew very well, and he said, "Hey, I, you know, would you do us a favor?" and take their wives on a hunt because their wives go through a lot. And so we, we took their wives out and took them on a hunt. That was a, that was great. It was awesome. It was so rewarding. And so this year we're going to do more wounded warrior stuff, um, with a couple different organizations during the cow season specifically. Good. So, um, we'll, we'll kind of give you an update on that next year at this time. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, let's bounce into unit 10 and tell me what's going on in unit 10 and how it compares with your 12 and 13 and, Give me a little, little unit, rundown on it. Unit 10 is a public land unit. Very, very good draw odds. I mean, if if you if you you know can't afford a landowner tag and you want the opportunity to hunt, Unit 10 is a great third choice. And and you know it, it's specific to the hunter. There's not high numbers of elk there. It can be a tough hunt, um, but there are some great great bulls there. The quality's there. It just depends, you know, on the rut. It's an area that you really rely on the rut because it can be tough if they're not rutting. But typically, you know, doing a guided hunt, if you cover enough ground, you're going to find some bulls that are bugling. Um, you know, last year we killed killed a great bull there. I mean, right out of the chute, it was the only guy that we actually drew on that hunt. I mean, he shot a great bull opening morning. I mean, it's 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 a sleeper, but it's hard. You really you have to have a guide in that unit if you're if you're going to be successful. Um, you know, a lot Where of guys does it that, lie in relation to 12 and 13. It's just North of that. It's, okay. it, it kind of cradles in, in on the North side of 12 and 13. It's a lot more thicker forest. Um, it's got a little hunting pressure there, but quality's good. Densities are low. Tags are easy to get. You get three choices on your application and they look at all three choices. So I always suggest if a guy's real serious about wanting to draw a tag, throw in as a third choice that unit 10 hunt, either whether it be a bow, muzzleloader, or a rifle. They actually have a muzzleloader hunt there that falls at the same time as our youth hunt in unit 13, October 7th. That's still peak of the rut. That's a great hunt right there. Um, the rifle hunt's pretty easy to draw, but it starts this year it starts on the 14th, so you're kind of more towards the tail end. What we found as far as the rut goes in New Mexico lately is it's getting really spread out. So, a lot of, you know, even the later hunts are still catching some pretty good rut activity. So, the, even on that hunt starting on the 14th, 
sporadic here and some bugles here and there. Yeah. Why do you think the rut is not just boom two weeks and it's done? Why do you think it is spread out? I I just don't I don't know. I mean, our we've had some real warm. We had a real warm winter. I mean, it's just it's our weather's been all over the all over the board. Um, you know, we're we're seeing cows that seem to be coming into estrus at different times. And it's almost like a cycle that we're getting into where calves are being born at different times and then they get to maturity and they're, they're coming into, coming into estrus later than, than the main group of cows. And so it, this year we actually, believe it or not, we saw bulls bugling the first week of September or of, of November. They were wow. still bugling. I mean, and it's just crazy because those bulls will come in and we haven't seen those bulls and it's almost like they're looking for other, more cows to rut and our our bulls that were there during the rut they leave so i i really can't explain why why it is has been that way but i want to ask you um about ibex i mean that's one of obviously the only state in the in the country you can hunt ibex is new mexico um that is an awesome hunt it's a great experience for guys it's a hard tag to draw but typically you know we the odds are are pretty good in the outfitted draw. Um, one of our clients this year killed a great ibex uh, on a gun hunt. Um, you know, it's for the bow hunters that are hardcore. We can give you some really good odds in the outfitter pool of getting a tag, but it's it's a hardcore hunt, and you have to be ready for it. Have to like rattlesnakes. You have to like rattlesnakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to like rattlesnakes. Um, I have a couple of guides that actually live right there. I mean, they live right by the mountain range they know it better than anybody they'll get you on great what great are those ibex. mountains called it's the florida mountains florida and then uh so there's you do archery and you do rifle both yeah there's archery there's rifle and there's muzzleloaders there's there's three different hunts so there's two different archery seasons one in october and one in january most guys lean towards that january hunt that october hunt is a lot easier to draw in the outfitter pool but it's kind of during the peak of the rest of the hunting seasons. It's early October, and you will basically, you know, your rattlesnake factor is huge on that one. Um, some guys have even reported seeing rattlesnakes in the January hunt, but that October hunt is a snake-infested hunt um, in October. Um, so there's two archery seasons, and then you've got a muzzleloader season, and you've got a rifle season. Okay. Those animals are unbelievable, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's it's they're pretty tough <laughs> i'm looking here too and it looks like oryx and ibex uh is 1623 dollars uh so you would have your application fee of 13 your license of 65 and then 1623 for oryx or ibex and um, obviously if you don't draw you get that money back so new mexico is one of those states that i mean if you've got uh, a fairly high limit on your credit card you might as well put in for stuff across the board and try yeah. for it yeah your odds are really good i mean if you compare it to other other states your odds are great and you've got equal odds because there's no points yeah so uh i want to talk to you i know you've got a new opportunity in eastern new mexico and i know we've talked basically about western new mexico mm-hmm uh you've got a great opportunity in eastern new mexico and you're booking hunts there uh tell me about those units and what you have going on there um you know we 
one of our main landowners over on the western side of the state, they own ranches all over, and they they own a, close to 300,000 acres on the eastern side of the state. So they asked us to, to take over the hunting operation there, and it actually hasn't really been hunted at all. So it's kind of a cool opportunity. Um, some really nice mule deer, high numbers of antelope. Um, we have some landowner tag opportunities there. We have a lot of country. We've got, you know, close to 300,000 acres in Unit 32 and then up in Unit 42 also. We have one part of that, a third of that is up in that area. So those are some new opportunities we have. They're not not as big money as a lot of our stuff on the western side of the state, but there's great hunting opportunity with high numbers of animals and the potential for, for some great animals. But country that hasn't been pressured before and hasn't been hunted, It's it's uh, we're actually, you know, considering here in the next two months instilling a like a supplemental feed program for some of the deer over there to try to to try to you know put some horn growth on them it's open country so you can glass it it's not like the western side of the state so you get can go out there and see the animals i mean glass them like in open breaks things like that and there's not all that juniper and pinyon yeah so this is opportunity for elk, for mule deer, and for antelope? Uh, this is just for mule deer and for, for antelope over okay, there. Okay, mule deer and antelope. Yeah. And this is a little more affordable option, though? Yeah, a little more affordable. These landowner tags aren't as expensive over there. Okay. More for the guys that are looking out you know, to go shoot a, a nice antelope buck that's in the high 70s, possible low 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, more of an opportunity hunt, great for kids, not crazy expensive. Um, you know, there's always the potential out there to shoot something bigger. That's the thing. Um, and mule deer, you know, you're looking in that 150 to 180 cat, you know, in that range with the potential obviously for bigger, but more affordable than some of the stuff, you know, some of the landowner tags on the Western side of the state. I want to give you a chance to, um, you do an operation in South Dakota. Just give me an overall to give the listeners a chance to hear what you have in South Dakota as well. Cause that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast, to be honest, but just give, yeah. me, give me the overview. Well, South Dakota, we've been in business there for years, and um, just recently has it really have people really started to pick up on what we do there. Uh, we kill some of the best mule deer you've ever seen and some of the greatest whitetails you've ever seen. We've got over 100,000 acres there. Um, we hunt during the peak of the rut. You do have to draw tags for the rifle, um, but the first year it's about 50-50 odds without a point. Once you get a bonus point, you're guaranteed the tag. Um, now, that could start to change, though, because it is getting more popular. But as of right now, if you have one point, it's a guaranteed draw for the rifle. That hunt is starting to book out further because it's getting more popular. We are booked out right now until 18 for rifle mule deer. We do still have a couple spots available for anybody that wants to, sh- to hunt whitetails. I mean, up there right now, we're averaging 185 to 190 on our mule deer. Um, we're, with, we've killed multiple 200 class bucks in south dakota um when are those seasons uh middle of november okay and that's peak of the rut for them so it's just phenomenal hunting phenomenal yeah it's open country breaky river breaks um our whitetail hunting is probably the biggest sleeper there i mean it's a slam dunk to kill a 155 and up whitetail i mean rifle yeah with a rifle i mean it's this year we actually killed a 180 and we killed a 170 typical I mean, the horn growth there was just, some of the whitetails just were freakishly big for us. But all day long, 150, 160 type deer. And and it's really, no one, you know, believes it, but it's South Dakota. And you've always got that potential for bigger. I mean, every landowner in South Dakota we work with has a whitetail on their wall from 
you know, back the past it's 190 to 220. Yeah. So, I mean, and there's definitely deer like that around. Um, great opportunities, but the best opportunity in South Dakota is the fact that the archery tags are over the counter. And we actually let our archery hunters hunt before our gun hunters. So they get to come in, they get to hunt during the rut, and they get to hunt before rifle season, and it's an over-the-counter tag. So. That's awesome. That sounds incredible. What an opportunity. Where do most people fly in there? Um, you can fly into Rapid City, but uh, most of the time, most people fly right into Pier. Pier is the state capital. It's right in the middle of the state. You can catch a Southwest flight into Denver or Minneapolis, and then uh, there's a company, Great Lakes, that has a little, it's a $99 flight. Commuter. It's cheap. Yeah, you jump on it and fly you right into Pier, and then there's a shuttle that takes you right over to our hotel. It's a hotel hunt. Um, I mean, we run 100% on the rifle hunters, and the bow hunters are 100% shooting opportunity. It's very high success. Um, you know, it it can be the weather can be a little brutal there that time of the year, but we stay in a hotel, a nice hotel, eat out at nice restaurants every night. I mean, it's a very comfortable hunt, great for kids, great for wives, um, great hunting conditions. You're going to see tons of deer, both species. It's it's definitely um, it's a gem. Spring turkey hunts, you do some sort of uh, trespass fee and per bird fee, so to contact Tom if you're interested yeah, in turkey. Yeah, we do trespass fees up there. Is it a multiple bird state or is it a one bird state? Um, with the bow, I want to say it's multi. It's a multi-bird situation on the archery. Um, it depends on the tag numbers, and I can get people all that information. But we do, we do trespass up there. We have tons of turkeys. I mean, it's one of, one of my... Uh, landowners actually I, I partner with up there and so anybody that wants to go do that I put them direct contact with him and then he can get you on the ranches show you everything and it's a great place to turkey hunt I mean high high success I mean there's lots of birds it's it's a lot of I I'm personally haven't turkey hunted a lot I'm not real experienced but that's where I've done all my you turkey just don't hunting. have any time <laughs> yeah I don't have any time but uh let me tell you I the turkey hunts that I did up there myself it was a blast. Just stupid. Huh? I was, I'm probably pretty spoiled because we have a lot of birds there. Yeah. So, Okay. Um, I, I want to have you unrelated to your guide business um, or related to your guide business. Either way, rank other units in New Mexico that you're familiar with that you think you know, would you say 16D is the best unit in the state? Other, Not talking about your units, just for general draw hunters that are listening. Give me the rundown on what you think is the best opportunity for quality hunt. You, you'll hear a lot about 16D. There's some great bulls there, but those tags are really hard to draw. Um, any of those 16 units can produce a monster. So um, 16A as well. Yeah, those, I mean, those, those, those are great units. 16E, um, you're dealing with some private land there, but um, any of those 16 units, those are those are probably the most coveted units in the state as far as trying to draw. They kill some great bulls. Um, they obviously do kill some 400-inch bulls. I don't, you know, me personally, I don't think they quite have the top end um, like we do as far as killing 420 to 440 type bulls. But you know, down there, they're they're probably not as um, you know, we don't. We personally don't hunt it much because it's just way out of our our area. It's too spread out for us. But you know, from what I hear from the guides that know it really well, you know, they're not dealing with as as much horn growth issues because just 
there tends to be more moisture in the ground down there. We're more of a high desert area, so we right. get we get more Ups affected and down. by the drought. Yeah, down down in that country, you know, you, you have a little bit more consistency, I think, in your horn growth, just like you'll see in units one and twenty seven Arizona. Because if you look at it, they're directly across from each other. So, yeah. so what would you say about the fifteens? Fifteens, um, a great unit. There's some giant bulls there, but you're going to have more hunting pressure, and the landowner tags are more expensive. You know, we always end up with a few landowner tags in 15. Um, there's some great bulls there, and we've got guys that know it very well, and you can always kill a monster there, but you look at your tag numbers. You're, there's a lot of tag numbers. There's a lot of pressure, so you kind of got to be careful for that. What about you know, 17? 17 is great. There are some great bulls there, but you need to be in good shape to hunt that unit, and that's why we, you know, we are real particular if we take anybody to 17 because – 17 i mean you've got to be very very in shape you got to be willing to to cover some miles and go straight up and down because it's rough rough country and that's that's for your guys that are you know younger and in real or in really good shape 17's got some tremendous bulls what about 34 36 over by the um mescalero there's been some great bulls killed down there i personally haven't hunted down there but i have guides that have hunted it a lot there's there's very high densities of elk down there. Um, your genetics don't seem to be quite as good as up in our area, but there's a lot of elk. High kill percentage. Um, there's some nice bulls, and they have killed some some great bulls down there. There's a couple bulls I've heard of in the past two years killed down there that have been really, really, really good. Um, you know, it's so, I mean, as far as elk hunting goes, there's a lot of elk, and it's a great opportunity. What about 23? 23? I actually... Um, had a little spent a little time in that unit this year there's there's some really good potential there sleeper um, it borders unit 20 you know 27 arizona and there's there's some good bulls that are floating back and forth there so for a guy that's willing to get with it especially a do-it-yourselfer i would say that's a good choice any units that i didn't mention that you would say are a sleeper unit there for someone maybe not a high success but a sleeper for a giant you know, I mean, the problem is all the sleepers have kind of awoken. I mean, it's just anymore. I mean, there's nothing that's really a secret. Um, it's just it really comes down to how how tough of a hunt are you willing to endure. When I say tough, I'm not saying physically tough. I'm saying, you know, it can be mentally tough. You're not going to see a lot of elk. you got to cover a lot of ground. And a lot of guys get frustrated with that. And that's that's kind of where we built our niche was, was hunting areas like that because – it takes a lot of a lot of work, a lot of scouting. The elk are never in the same areas each year because they move around a lot. I personally prefer to hunt areas like that, and I prefer to guide in areas like that because it creates a niche. Um, not just anybody can just go out there and just get on a big bull. I mean, you really got to know your stuff. You got to know your access points. You got to know where the elk are going to go if that area doesn't have rain that year. Where are they going to move to? There's a lot of different X factors there that as you hunt over time, you can put all this together and be successful year after year. Whereas a typical do-it-yourself hunter, you can't just come in and be right on big bulls right out of the chute. I like to stay away from units like that just because, you know, it's just it's, there's no niche there for 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 what I do. So Sure. Um, obviously, your clients have killed some giant bulls, but you're no stranger to a big bull yourself. You've had the fortune to kill some giant bulls yourself tell me tell me about a few of them um i killed a, a giant bull in unit 12 on public land a few years back it was actually on the cover of eastman's 
Um, that was a public land hunt. I had the had the privilege of hunting with Guy on that hunt. He killed a great bull. Also, um, that was a public land tag in Unit 12. And um, the cool thing about Unit 12 is if you have the right access to get into public land, you can definitely get into some giant, giant bulls. Um, I, uh, I actually killed, um, in 2015, I, uh, hunted Nevada and killed a great bull there. And I turned right around and came down to New Mexico and I, I kept one of my unit 13 landowner tags and, um, killed a bull that was 390. It was 390 typical gross and 383 net, uh, in unit 13 on public land. Um, I mean, yeah, I've killed, I've killed some big bulls. I mean, probably my biggest passion is archery elk hunting. I wish I had more time to do it. You know, I had a unit 27 tag this past year and honestly, I just don't have time. I have to take care of clients and make sure things are going smoothly for them before I get to hunt on my own. So usually when I hunt, I just try to piece together a half a day here, you know, a little time here or there, whenever I can actually get out and do it. But I miss that part of it for sure, being able to go go at it for seven or ten days straight. But, um, you know, maybe one day. We'll see. Yeah. You have hunting operations all over. We've talked about them in the Southwest. It's obvious you love hunting. It's obvious you don't do it just because it's a business. You have to love hunting. Yeah. Um, do you feel like your love for hunting goes away at all, or do you feel like you're ever bit as passionate with the upcoming seasons and just looking forward to it like you were. Oh, I'm definitely as passionate. You know, summertime about July, you start to get that itch. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, you start to learn how to manage. And, you know, the main priority is taking care of the clients. And I have such great people that work for me in my operation that I'm actually, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, as people come on hunts with us, a lot of these clients have been hunting with us for years and they have certain people they like to hunt with. And, um, it's, it's great cause it takes the pressure off me. And, um, I, I keep my, I keep my passion for it, but I, you know, I have to, you know, I, I, I tend to take hunts and go to other States and do different things that are kind of on the side where, you know, I can really focus on having a good time. And, you know, when I, when I hunt on my own now, I focus on just having fun. It's not serious to me. So I don't really care if I'm, if I kill, a giant animal. I mean, I've, I, I ate so much tag soup this year that your head would spin. I had some great tags and I didn't have time to hunt and that's fine because my clients were happy. We had a phenomenal season, even though it was down horn growth and my business is better than ever just because we've always taken care of our clients and we continue to do that. And, um, you know, I'll always have opportunities down the road to hunt. So, you know, I, uh, you know, right now it's all focused on clients and trying to Make sure that everybody's experience is the experience of a lifetime. And that's what continues to grow our business and why we've been able to expand into other states. We basically take the same recipe that we developed in western New Mexico. And now we have other places that they can do that. And we'll do the exact same thing. We'll treat them the exact same way. And they'll get the same amount of trophy quality and the the guide quality that they, we have in the other areas. Yeah, and it, it's been fun to watch you grow, and um, it's exciting to hear all the opportunities that you do have. Uh, I want to give you a chance to tell the listeners how they can reach you, um, how they can get a hold of you. Uh, I know uh, following on Instagram is, is a big thing, but uh, go ahead and uh, tell people how they can get a hold of you, and I think it's important uh, 
you know, here in early March, as we as we record this podcast, that the deadline's the twenty second. Uh, you got to get a hold of Tom and get you know get in on this stuff early. Get on, get in and he- ahead of time. Yeah, we have multiple different options um, as far as a draw goes. And if you get a hold of us, you can reach me through Instagram or you can reach me directly on through our website. Our website is bmohunts.com. That's B is uh, in black. I, M, M, Black Mountain Outfitters, BMO. Yeah, hunts.com. Okay. Um, you can reach, um, there's, you can get a hold of us through there through a direct email. I have a guy that I work with, Shad, and he handles all, all those emails and calls, but we can get you the application packet. But I do personal consultation with all the clients before we apply you. So um, we'll send you a packet that you fill out um, a few different documents. And we have various, um, we have like an application service almost. So you can choose which which package you want, and we can go over those with you over the phone. Um, and then before we apply you, I'll personally consult with you over the different species you want to apply for and what your main priorities. Um, in that packet, there's a kind of a questionnaire, so we kind of narrow it down, and then I'll get a hold of you on the phone, and we'll go over that before we actually do the app. So you can reach me through the website. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, which... You know, that's an easy way for us to get uh, deadlines out to people if they'll follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, that's the easiest way. So, Perfect. Well, it's, uh, like I said, been great watching you grow your business. I've known you for, I don't know how long now. We're both getting a little longer in the tooth. But uh, <laughs> um, it's been fun to watch you really grow and do a great job and to hear all the successes that you've had. And just thanks for spending time with us. Last year on the podcast, I'm glad a few listeners were able to capitalize and come hunt with you, and hopefully some more will do the same. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see your Mexico operation and and uh, just wish you the best of success. It's funny, we only live about a mile apart here, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's great to be able to get together in person and do this podcast in person. So, uh, yeah, I want to encourage the listeners out there to get a hold of Tom and uh, uh, find out what opportunities might suit their needs best for new mexico yep we have a lot of different opportunities i mean it's just something that if you want hot the best odds of getting a tag you know really it is truly the best odds in the country because there's no points and high quality yeah great quality great success and high quality just jump on our instagram and take a look i mean um, i haven't been the best at updating my website but if you go on my instagram you're going to see a lot of current stuff i mean kill photos that are posted guys i want to take just a second here to thank the sponsors of this podcast i want to thank my title sponsor gohunt.com insider for their loyalty and their sponsorship of this podcast i'd also like to thank kuyu.com phonescope.com and the outdoorsman's.com We'll, you can we'll check down in the show notes to see the uh, different J. Scott promo codes and the discounts that you can that get you can with utilize. these companies. Awesome, uh, without you. them and without you, you, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And I just want to thank you and thank the sponsors uh, for their support.